I remember getting this, it was a yellow packet and it was in my high school group. And the yellow packet was a packet full of, if you like this band, then you'll yes. love this band. <laughs> if you like Pearl Jam, then you'll love the David Crowder band or whatever. Like, and, <laughs> and it was, I just, it was such a joke. I remember like going through it with my friends and it, it was, it was, <laughs> if you like Alanis Morissette, you know, it's like, what? No. said we're back but we're not i got confused with what we were talking about anyway from the to top episode of growing up christian <laughs> i was like someone's sitting here with us it feels like we have a guest on all right hey everybody welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam i'm casey and we are hanging out on this week's intro with my boy jesse Back by popular demand we've had so many requests for you i know back. i know i get my inboxes blowing up daily like when are you gonna be back on the pod yeah people are like man this guy has the sexiest voice i've ever heard when are you gonna say on? yeah you know those like do you get ads for those uh like chill apps they're where it's like a celebrity voice talking to you until you fall asleep yes i do know what you're talking about yeah you could you could read for one of those be like you and uh you know warwick davis or whatever yeah, yeah everybody was you should think about reading for erotic fan fiction, uh, like for Audible and shit. I think that that sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I could really sell those uh, steamy scenes. Dude, there was a uh, one time at a party we read. So there's a local guy. I don't know him. I know I've seen him before, but he goes to these conventions and stuff that April and her friends go to. And uh, for a minute, it was kind of fun to like look and see who all you recognized on uh, FetLife. You know what FetLife is? Yeah, I don't. Familiar. Jesse does. It's a uh, it's like Tinder, but like for people with fetishes and stuff. Hey, people get awfully comfortable on there, considering you can just you know make a profile and find their you know their <laughs> pictures on there. But there is a guy that wrote like this. He he's kind of an annoying dude. And he had written this long erotic fan fiction where he was like a dragon man and he was banging this cowgirl vampire or something. And okay. so we like as a group, we like drank and read this fan fiction and like acted <laughs> it out. And it was so funny. <laughs> that sounds so much fun. <laughs> Probably me. I don't know. It's not. If you write fan fiction, you're putting it out there for the world to experience and have you. It's for a broader audience. Yeah. You know, dude, that you're willingly accepting any sort of criticism. I mean, (laughs) it's not that normal to put that out there. Not everyone makes fan fiction and then comes up with 50 shades of gray and gets rich off of it. Didn't was it 50 shades of gray that started out as like Twilight fan fiction or some shit or. Mm -hmm. Okay. You guys thought about uh, doing some like church erotic writing? <laughs> oh, I could, I could write that for sure. I think I that mean, should be the next step in this journey. A lot of that might be based on a true story. Yeah, <laughs> based on a true story of a local church somewhere. 
in America. That's <laughs> what would be funny like is the to write it, but big buildup just leads to a back rub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It'd be funny to write it with like the, the, uh, you know, pinnacle moment being like what you thought when you were 13 would have been a really big deal. A yeah. premature ejaculation. It's just, yeah. In the jeans. Just like rubbed your jeans against each other until, you know, you spackled them. Yeah. <laughs> you, it's like that, the, the move where, uh, Someone you'd put on a condom and then put your pants back on and dry hump. That way it was just easier to clean up afterwards. I never heard that method. <laughs> you never, it's because you didn't go to Liberty. True. What, you what would it have been? Like, what, what did you, uh, like, you know, not necessarily like fantasize sexually, but like, what was, okay, you're going on a church trip and the girl you like is going to be there. Like what, what do you have like a, can you remember like walking yourself through like a, well, what if this happened? And what if that happened? Oh, like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what did I it mean, look like? I, I, it probably just ended up in handholding. Yeah. Like really, <laughs> really passionate handholding. Like, like, oh, we had to take the van, but there weren't enough seats. So we had to sit like five wide in that back passenger van seat and yeah, actually you know, that, our hands were up against each other. No, that actually, that did happen to me. My youth group crush and I ended up sitting together in a, in a van on the way back from acquire the fire. It was late. It was dark. We were able to get away with so much handholding. Ooh, Whoa. it was steamy. <laughs> it's funny when you have that, like, uh, we're all, we're, we're, it's like you're pretending like you didn't accidentally brush your pinky against theirs, like hoping that they'll reciprocate. It's like, and you have to do that back and forth a few times to test it out. That's why youth group flirting is 10 times worse than regular awkward teen flirting. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Because if you oh go God. too much hand holding too fast, if you just put your hand on another on a girl's hand without like feeling it out first like that, you could get a sexual assault. Yeah, it's that's scary shit. I feel like it's like everything else in my life where I was just like 10 years behind on whatever activity we're talking about. Oh, we're yeah. like 17 and getting ready to graduate. And it's like, I I don't know how she doesn't know that I like her. I mean, I, I splashed her on the tubing trip. <laughs> <laughs> like too much. It's like that. I don't know how to flirt because I'm in youth group. So you just like. You know, she's in the pool, doesn't want to get her hair wet. It's up in a bun. And you're just like, hey, look. And you just title wave her right in the face with put both arms together and swing them through the water. And she's like, <laughs> not into it. And you're like, she gets it. Over the top guy. <laughs> yeah. Over the top guy thinks it'd be funny to throw you in the pool with all <laughs> of your clothes on. Yes. You know? That and uncle. Like, drunk uncle thinks that's great, too. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes over the top guy and drunk uncles. It's actually the same guy. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, actually, all uncles are over-the-top guys, and that's just genetics. You can't yeah. argue it. Okay, Casey, I have something I need to address with you. Okay. With you. Um, so last <laughs> week on our intro, you had asked me what my favorite flavor of chips was. Do you remember this? Yeah. Didn't you say, like, green or something? No, because, you know, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're, so you're trying to paint me to look like an idiot right now, but the joke's on you. So... You asked me, yeah, you asked me what my favorite flavor of chip was. And then I, I asked for clarification. I said, wait, kind or flavor? And you said flavor. So I said, barbecue. And, you know, and your response to that was, 
I like Doritos. That's not a flavor, you idiot. <laughs> Doritos I don't prefer a particular <laughs> flavor of Doritos. I just like Doritos. Doritos isn't a flavor of chip. It's a kind of chip. I was being vague more than uh, <sighs> than dumb. I, I was saying I like all flavors of Doritos equally. I don't I don't distinguish between Doritos. Well, your response to what flavor of chip do you like was Doritos. So yes, dust them triangles and dump them in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's worth pointing out. That's all I wanted to clarify that for the what listeners. What color of chip do you like, Jesse? I'm interested to know. What color of chip? What <laughs> <laughs> flavor? Um, if we're gonna stick with Doritos, the um, those like sweet chili. Oh, those are good ones. Those are Dude, so those good. are great. Um, but I'm a huge fan of the uh, just the standard Cape Cod kettle oh. kettle fried chips. I those don't know. Do, they, do those make it out to your way of the country, or is that pretty much just around yeah, here? We got those. You got Cape Cod. You guys do have Cape Cod. I didn't actually realize they distroed so far. I'm pretty sure, anyways. They're a big deal. I was gonna drop that. See, when I asked what kind, it's because I I really only fuck with kettle. Got to have kettle chips, extra crunch. Yeah. Dude, the, those New Orleans ones are like my favorite potato chip, potato chip. Like the voodoo ones? Yeah. I haven't tried those yet. But those are delicious. Yeah. Well, now that we've exhausted the subject of chips, uh, <laughs> someone posted a link in our Discord. I'm sorry I forget who it is. I would shout you out. But to a website, I thought we should talk about this for a little bit because I, we weren't sure at first if it was like a parody. I'm still not convinced of what this website is, but the website's called myjourneytojesus.net. You had a t- you had a chance to poke through this, right, Jesse? I mean, right, Casey? I think so. Refresh my memory. Out, Jesse? I have not, but okay. I'm typing that in right now. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Uh, so the first one that came, the, fir- the link got set, that got sent us was, should Christians own Himalayan salt lamps? I did see this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> Uh, and this is this is filed under the category of the occult. All right. Now, I didn't really have anything specific to pull out of the article because I whatever. It's just you know, uh, everything's a portal for demonic activity. Christians need to be weary of anything that New Age people use. Her whole like story is like, I used to be a New Age person and then I got saved. But well, um, yeah, certainly an expert on the matter. Of course, because she was in. To, I mean, I'm sure she has a lot to say about crystals, too. I'd like to see what maybe she has to say. Yeah. Websites like this is where my mom got all of her information on what <laughs> is okay and what is not okay. Yeah. Like so her, her, her bio uh, under the Meet the Authors, I'm a former experienced New Ager, yogi and spiritual nomad turned Christian. After a moment of illumination in 2017, I created this website to help you differentiate between light and darkness and to answer questions about spiritual topics from a Catholic Christian worldview. I think that's fascinating because um, Catholics usually aren't so weird about sh- like not this kind of shit. Um, I think the first red flag is like, why would anyone convert to Catholicism? <laughs> like I can see you getting sucked into, you know, local evangelical church where there's a lot of people going there your age. And it's more of, it's like a community group sort of thing first and a church second, that kind of deal. Totally get it. But you went from being like a yoga instructor to a Catholic yogi. That's got to, I think that's different. Yogi. Yoga, I don't know. Yogi bear. I think it was what it was. She was a yogi bear, bear cosplayer and 
or pl- <laughs> went to did Yogi Bear and plushies conventions or some shit like that. No, yeah. furries, furry conventions. Ex- experienced with new new ager. What is? I don't know what that means. I well, from uh, you know when we were kids, new age just meant anything that didn't appear to be traditional. Almost, it was like any sort of thing, whether it was yoga or meditation or uh, both. Not new things, so that's yeah. fun. <laughs> Beaded door curtains, you know, <laughs> incense. Trying to think of incense, what else. I remember think I remember people having crystals. What, what was that? Crystals. Crystals. Like any sort sure. of like healing property and some sort of mineral or rock. Anything that slightly resembled like you know Southeast Asian culture was New Age. Dreamcatchers. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't yep. know if that counts. It's a big that net. Uh, but on this Himalayan salt lamp, I thought their interaction, an interaction between. A commenter. I don't know if this is a. I don't know how much of this is facetious or real, but the website's been around for long enough, and there's enough consistent posting that it feels very. It feels real. Uh, it doesn't. It's too much to be a joke. No one commits to it like the bit that hard after all these years. But the one of the commenters on it was like, "Thanks so much for writing this. I had no idea. I used to practice yoga." Until I learned it was wrong to do so as a Christian. Now I'm in the process of moving. And while packing, I started wondering if I should not have Himalayan lights, which led me to your article. I had three, including in the master bedroom and a big one, which I just sold at a garage sale. Can you please clarify how to rebuke the spirit associated to it that I might have entered that may have entered my home with the lamp? I very much appreciate it as I am anxious to get them out of my home ASAP. To get them out of your home ASAP, you pick them up and you put them outside. That's ASAP. So she's struggling on what it means to remove something ASAP. I just want to know if there was an extra charge for the spirit that came with it. (laughs) You you got to pay extra to get that salt ghost. (laughs) You have to bribe it to haunt your house. It's like a genie in a lamp. (laughs) The spirit spirit of high sodium. (laughs) If you uh, lick your salt lamp three times, a salt genie comes out. (laughs) And he looks like a 7-Eleven corn dog. (laughs) (laughs) As lame as this kind of stuff always sounds, is there like some element of you that's like, be kind of fun to live in this like fantasy world full of ghosts and ghouls and spirits and demons and stuff like that. Like it it would be kind of fun to think that all of that is happening around your salt lamp or your... I don't you know. have to imagine it. <laughs> you got I ghosts? It. Well, no, not for real, but like growing up that like everything, everything was a spirit. Everything. I forgot was you it, guys went that hard it? on yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Was it funny? Was it as funny as Casey makes it out to be, Jesse? Uh, I mean, looking back at it now, yeah, it's fucking hilarious. But going through it, growing up, thinking that like – you would get possessed from playing with your Pokemon cards too much. Uh, <laughs> Which you shouldn't have had in the first place. Uh, apparently so, because I was forced to sell them. Ooh, at least you were allowed to sell them. I know. I, that, that was the thing. Like when uh, when you were reading the, the comment or post about selling the Himalayan salt lamp, it's like, wouldn't you want to, if you were truly convinced that that had some evil <laughs> spirit know. tied to it, wouldn't you just, you take it to a, priest and like destroy it in some ceremoniously what ceremonious way yeah, yeah. you would have to like, like you would have to like 
You're like, no, I'm, I'm just going to get five water. bucks for this on Facebook Marketplace, and it's somebody else's problem now. <laughs> I'm going to answer 15 emails of, is this thing available before I actually <laughs> sell it to <laughs> Totally worth the inconvenience. I think the way you actually destroy the spirit within those is you fill the baptismal. Well, Catholics don't have a baptismal because they just do a little sprinkle thing. But if you fill a tub with holy water and you get in it and then you plug in the Himalayan salt lamp and you throw it in with you, that's how you that's how you rid the spirit. Make sure anything make sure it can't get inside of you and make sure that any spirit within you is cast out and then it's cast out of the salt lamp and it's destroyed in the electrical shock. It's yeah. And well, and there was some chemistry. stuff in the, on the uh, website about like anointing it with oil or holy water. So you could kind of like, you know, if you are Catholic, you channel that, you know, it, don't ice, sprinkle dinkle. <laughs> it's sure to rid it. This this woman who owns the blog is Joan. I don't know her name. Johanna. She um she does answer the question of how to rebuke the spirit. So are you guys are you guys curious? Absolutely. Yes, he probably knows, but I'm curious. Hi Stephanie. If you are a Christian, rebuking the spirit would mean declaring in the name of Jesus that his blood covers your entire home and cleanses it from all past evil spirits that may come in. I remember praying over my walls where paranormal activity occurred using the blood of Jesus as a covering. I just want to know where she got some of this blood of Jesus because that's pretty sick. Yeah. If you are Catholic, you can take holy water. Only if you're Catholic. Holy water doesn't work for anybody who isn't a professing Catholic, uh, which shows you that Jesus has favorites. They uh, talk about that in Bible school or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talk all about all the um, the effects of holy water and who can use it and who can't. Uh, we were Protestants, so we couldn't get near it. Holy water burns us, so you just got to be careful. Uh, when you're running tests on it, especially, you got to wear gloves. Um, it's like drinking the water in Mexico. Yeah. If you, if you drink it, you're just on the toilet for six days straight. Exactly. I did that. It was probably holy water. It could have been. <laughs> you could also use blessed oil, blessed oil, and make a cross where the lamps were. Okay, so the cross where the lamps were removes any residual, demonic residual, I guess. Uh, So that's good to know. Finally, you can ask a priest to come and bless your home. Hope this helps. (laughs) I think it's fun. Like, this is a fun intersection of different belief systems here where you have, like, fundamentalist Christian who also believes in ghosts, you know, like spirits and whatnot, and uh, the strange you know, hierarchy of symbols and different things like that in that world that, you know, it's, I don't feel like it's on paper anywhere. This is all kind of like freelance, you know, you make it up as you go. Like, like blessed oil, who blesses it? Does it have to be a priest? Solomon. Okay. It It comes from the remnants of Solomon's temple, I think. Gotcha. You just find one of his old leg bones and like put it in a food processor. I think it comes from one of the dinosaurs that lived at the same time as humans. Well, uh, I'm off. I don't oil, believe in but, dinosaurs. Yeah, that does that. Help, that doesn't. Mm, okay, I don't know what to tell you, man. What I mean, that, that's what it's in. Is there any requirements for the priest that's blessing the oil? Like, if this happens to be one of the few and far between uh, pedophile priests, can he bless oil? 
Like, does that interfere with his oil blessing abilities or is it just, does it just kind of come with the hat and shirt? Like if you get the white collar, boom, you can bless oil regardless of what's going on in your personal life. Like keep work separate from your, you know, home I, I life. Oil's mass blessed. Uh, you just buy it at your local, uh, local Christian store. You know, it's, they have it at Costco. No, it's Costco's not a Christian store, Casey. Just because all the Christians in your area go there. Owned by the Waltons. That's Sam's Club. Oh my bad, dude. You are you telling me that all of this Costco oil that I bought is is worthless? Yeah. All you you gonna cook oil or vegetables in it? It didn't come pre-blessed. You gotta go get it blessed. Yeah, it's not worthless. It'll just cost you a little extra. This is putting a lot of miles on my car. Well. Maybe convert your car to run on this vegetable oil you speak of and you won't have a problem. Blessed oil, huh? (laughs) (laughs) This page is wild. I mean, the amount of categories, if you go to the menu, it's just like she has categories for apologetics, her testimony, the occult, the saints, prayers, spiritual, the spiritual realm. I think I'm going to comment. I'm going to start comment. I'm going to comment and see if she gets back to me. What's she got on the occult? She's pretty big on that front. Oh, I, he seems like she would particularly love it. I think, okay, so all of, can Christians practice yoga? When is the occult dangerous? I'll give you a hint. Probably all the time. Is incense <laughs> witchcraft? Christians plus horoscopes? Question mark. Should Christians participate in Eastern medicine? You know, yoga, dream catchers, and the mandala coloring book? Dream catchers aren't an Eastern religion thing, are they? That's Native American, isn't it? Yes. Did she say it was Eastern? Well, you mentioned it in that that I description. Might just, I might have just put it together while stringing along a bunch of sentences. Or she just doesn't know. Hard to believe that an expert wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, I, it's she's... Oh, yeah, she does have it under the occult, but not under Eastern. I don't know. I forgot what I said, but they're not... It's just listed as an independent article about dream catchers. So I have a friend that's kind of one of these these types, you know, that's Christian, very open about it and stuff like that, but also believes in ghosts and grew up in a haunted house and all of that stuff. And we, I've, I've listened to him talk for like several hours about his experiences with ghosts and things. And, uh, like he also was telling me, he told me all about his house being haunted and stuff as a kid. And then he told me that he went to a hypnotist that specialized in uh, past life, regressive memories you know about this whole deal kind of we basically hypnotize you and help you remember your past lives and he told me that uh he remembered being a little girl in eastern europe stirring a big pot okay and how is that helpful that's just fun to know i guess it's like (laughs) (laughs) ancestry.com In fact, like you would think that they would include that in their search. Have you guys ever been to a hypnotist? No, I have not. No hmm. card readings or like tarot. No, we don't play with fire, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I want to try it. <laughs> uh, I'd like to get my it's just expensive. Like I don't pay that much for shit. That's pretend. Uh, so I'm not going to do it. Sorry to anyone who uh, who's listening. I'm sure we have some listeners that like card readings. Who you feel is what you feel is pretend. How about yeah, that? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'll go with the science on this one, but that's hypnotism. Fine. I think is legit. 
I do think hypnotism seem I it seems like there are people who are like impervious to hypnotism and people who maybe aren't, but it does seem like there's it has some effects that are real. I don't know. Like I, I guess it's been work to actually really help people quit smoking and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, I met a guy that that did that. Okay. Smoked for like thirty years and then went in and got hypnotized and he quit like overnight. Dang. What is that? I I don't even know what to make of that. Suggestibility. You think so? I don't know. From like what I've read about hypnotism and stuff, it's basically just like comes down to how suggestible of a person you are. So it's for the weak willed. That's what it seems I was like. gonna say. I don't know. I've seen it happen. Like they have at some like fair, Spencer Fair. The Spencer Fair, Sam. Really? Um yeah, they had a hypnotist there and they brought like a bunch of people up on stage and like put them to sleep and stuff. And I don't know. It seemed real. Like it didn't seem like they were faking being asleep or like doing things yeah. being under, but um, I mean, I don't know how high the caliber of actors are in Spencer and he's Brookfield. So <laughs> if it didn't seem like they were acting, they probably like, would. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I, I think there's something to it. Like I, I, I just, it's like a pseudoscience kind of thing. It's not like, I don't know. It's real, but it's not. I saw a YouTube video of someone having, um, getting punched in the chest and then no longer being bound to a wheelchair. And they looked like they were serious about it. So I think that's real too. Did, um, did you guys ever, were, were you ever a part of any like healing services? No. So my church was big on that. Um, we used to have like guest speakers from all over come in who were, had different specialties, whether it was like, you know, wealth or health or, um, prophets. Like we, we used to get like a lot of like prophecy people in there. I want the wealth and, um, one. Give me that gift. I mean, yeah. I mean, nobody in my church ever got rich. So, <laughs> but it was like <laughs> one of those, like you find $20 in your coat pocket a couple weeks later and you're like, Oh That's Jesus, <laughs> you rascal. <laughs> <laughs> my church was really not into, uh, any of that kind of stuff. Like even talking to people here, you know, talk to like a Pentecostal guy earlier and, uh, you know, listening to stories about stuff people did during worship and these big reactions and things like my church was so straight laced, like nobody ever did anything remotely exciting. <laughs> yeah, when I was part of that charismatic group at Liberty for a little bit, they never did any. They kept things fairly tame there. Uh, and it wasn't tame to me from, you know, my previous experiences, but um, it so they they never did that stuff intentionally. Like, oh, we're not going to do a service around it. Uh, but they would do these like breakouts and people would talk about, you know, the, the issues or health issues they're having and everyone would like pray for them, but in a very charismatic way, but it never turned into like a real healing service, except for like, I remember one time someone just like collapsed to the ground and everyone was like crying and praying around them. And I, I think I was, I'm, it's weird to look back on because I could, I feel like I could only think about it in the way that I would feel about it now. But I think at the time I had felt like I had felt like maybe frustrated that I didn't, that I didn't know if I was buying into it uh, because everyone seemed so 
convinced like that this was like the the real deal things were getting ready to happen. Uh, and nothing happened that night so i'm not really sure maybe they needed to wait for her to go back to the doctors and come back with the the verdict on whether or not god came through on that one but man i just that was like my first experience with like something that felt like that was as close to like a healing service as uh, i had ever come and it felt yeah. weird that was pretty commonplace for me growing up we i mean that was just the type of church I went to, we did that all the time. I don't remember ever seeing anything tangible ever happen. It was always like, uh, uh, like anecdotal, like, Oh yeah, I was at this revival, whatever service. And, uh, you know, I saw, I, dude, I heard things like, I saw an amputee with his leg grow back and like, all this stuff. It's like dude, I, none of that ever happened. Like, oh, I've seen people raised from the dead. And no, you didn't. <laughs> you, just you know, know what? That that's not true. You need to proclaim your faith. So I want you to smash your kid's EpiPen and then have him suck down these planters. <laughs> <laughs> Come in. I remember the, the most I had heard. Well, I had heard some radical stories from people, but... Um, it was always from someone who knew someone that I didn't know or like someone I barely knew's friend who wasn't around, like nothing, nothing close to me. Uh, but there was only one story that as they always are. Yeah, there was only one story that came that was like close to me. Uh, it was someone that I knew specifically that supposedly she had, I think I shared this before she had cavities or something like she needed a root canal. And it was like, <laughs> but her, 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 I don't know. She didn't have insurance or she couldn't afford it. And God pulled through because the next time she got like x-rays on her teeth, like whatever the issue was, was gone. Her teeth were like back to normal. Good as new. And Our feelings are healed. What an awesome God we serve. Like at the time I was like, wow. And I don't, I, there's always a level of skepticism, but I was, I, I acted the, as though, I 100% bought it. And I told people about that story. And I did it because to me, it was like, I need to validate my, I need to validate this is true for me. You know, when you just like say shit because you want it to be true, you're trying to convince yourself that it's true. Uh, that I think that's why I told people to like validate that. Oh, these things happen. Oh, because I wanted to get into that. I wanted to feel like that was true because the people who were in it, I was like really into and thought were great. So what if this is like, what if that's the root of all of these stories? It's always secondhand information or something ambiguous that you can't verify. But in an attempt to validate it to themselves and to kind of like uh, publicly show that they have faith in, in, you know, that sort of thing, people continually pass these stories along. It's like a mythology. Like, yeah. generational stories but i don't know no it's there's a lot uh i think there's a lot of that like oh let me if of people just spinning their wheels trying to propagate these stories for their own well they gotta sell it yeah they gotta sell it if it's true for them maybe they have i don't know i think it just like keeps that like glimmer of hope alive for some people uh all that being said ghosts you believe in them or not or open to it or think it's ridiculous, where, where are you at? What do you think? I'd say non-believing, but open to it. Try to keep an open mind. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of weird shit out there. Like, I feel like I've heard some 
ghost stories that are so convincing that mm-hmm. in the moment I'm like, I believe now. Like I, I have like conversion experiences to ghosts <laughs> because it's like it doesn't even sound like anyone could be making that up, especially when it's like corroborated by a few people. But then like the other part of me is just like, it doesn't even make sense. Why, why the fuck would shit just be lingering around this planet? Just to, I don't know, flush a toilet in the middle of the night and fuck with us. Like it's, <laughs> they're not doing that much. Like, why are they just flushing toilets and creaking on floorboards? <laughs> I feel like, uh, I don't think I've ever seen or experienced anything to make me think that there's ghosts, but I can still uh, get real freaked out in the dark. Like when we first Whenever moved here, you, when people tickle you in the dark, it really. Yeah. When there's like a out. foot tickling burglar, you know, yeah. that sneaks into in the middle of the night. When we first, before we both moved here with all of our stuff, like uh, we rented this old farmhouse from the 1800s. And it was kind of a disaster, like when we first rented it. So April was still in Michigan. I was here. And part of what I was trying to do was get the house cleaned up and ready so we could move all of our stuff in in like two weeks or whatever. So I was going over to this house after work and it's wintertime. So it's getting dark and stuff and everything. And it's like dusty and dingy and old and it's like weird smells and weird sounds. And there's like a creepy basement. And I don't know, I just did not like being in this place by myself. And that's probably all on my end, but it kind of didn't matter. I didn't enjoy being there by myself at night. (laughs) Maybe that's dumb. No, it's not. No, it just freaked me out. I don't know. I I haven't been alone in my house in a long time. Is that funny? That is kind of funny. <laughs> it's been a very long time that I've had it. I don't know if I've ever had a night alone in my house. And your house is probably like, man, if I could get a night alone. I know all the all the ghosts that live here. Are like, when are these people gonna leave? But uh, I, there is definitely nights where you like, you just, you know, I'll get up and like double check the doors and make sure shit's locked. Like, I don't worry about that stuff ever. And uh, I mean, I probably don't even. I don't think I even really ever lock my doors. I don't think about it. I don't worry about people just coming into my house in the middle of the night to suck on my toes or steal my TV. So, but well, I do. Aren't you brave? Yeah, I'm very brave. But I definitely, it's. I remember there being times where it's just like the second I'm in my bed alone and it's like, oh, this is when shit happens. So. Like nothing ever happens on a normal night. Like and, and the weird fear sets in of like the irrational. It's like irrational stuff that you wake up in the morning. It's like when you have a weird dream. Uh, you know, like those dreams make a ton of sense while they're happening. Then you try to tell somebody about the next day, and you're like, I'm just not gonna keep going with. Like I'm not gonna try anymore. Like you realize as soon as you start talking that none of that made sense, and it was all insane. And I feel like that's what it is. Like that's the same feeling I get when I think of like feeling scared uh that's some at night or about ghosts or something like yeah i i don't know you know so wichita our our most famous former resident well he still lives about 15 minutes from my house technically is it a serial killer yes the btk killer <laughs> dennis raider he's just like a legendary piece of garbage but uh his first he's a weird serial killer because he didn't 
really develop much of an MO other than that. He liked to like tie people up and torture them and stuff. He was kind of an unsuccessful serial killer. Like he didn't really get super far and then he kind of quit, which none of them do, you know, and went dark for a long time. What a loser. But his first murder, he killed like an entire family. Oh my God. Yeah, it was like he, so he worked at like the Coleman factory or something here. Like Coleman Camping Gear is based here. And uh, I think it was like, is this lady named Otero that he identified? He he saw her at work and he started like following her around and watching her during the day and stuff. And so he went and knocked on their door and they let him in, you know, for one reason or another. I forget if he was wanting to make a phone call or whatever, but, you know, he killed this whole family, kids and husband and wife and everything. Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, you can drive downtown and and you can like drive past the Otero house, which I've done a couple of times. And it's so weird. Like it's kind of in disrepair for some reason. Nobody really seems like they want to live there now. I don't understand why. How much (laughs) is it? Is it on Zillow? I'm sure it probably is. You you can find it on Zillow. Yeah, just type in BTK Otero house address. I'm sure it'll pop right up. Okay. But you look at this house from the road and it's like a nondescript. looks like all the houses around it and stuff. But I don't want to go in there. It's just, uh, it's got bad vibes. Yeah. It's weird. I've thought before that I would, like, would you guys get a place if you like, okay, here's an, there's an apartment or a house and dream house, dream, whatever. And it's, crazy good deal on it and you found out that it was there was like a murder suicide in them would you buy the house maybe if it was dope that's a thinker but my initial my gut reaction is no really i don't think i could do yeah i i don't know it's bad vibes man i'm surprised none of you guys that were you were both quick to not either not have an answer or uh that's surprising i think i would i would be more concerned um I'd be more concerned if it was just a murder and they didn't catch the guy. Like they're going to go back and fuck me up too, or something like that. That'd be my concern. If it was, if someone got murdered in a house and they're like, yeah, we never caught the guy. Anyway, do you want to move in? I'd be like, fuck no. There's probably evidence here that he wants to come and get. Yeah. Or maybe the old resident looks just like you. (laughs) He only murders people who live at that address. Yeah. It's just, it's one thing. (laughs) That is a specific MO. You would think that that would get you caught. Not in this guy's case. Okay, so I think... You get, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to ask if you guys ever went to, like, known haunted spaces to check them out. Like, you know how some people will just go to, like, old hospitals and shit and just try to get spooked? I never went to the good ones around here. Like, we always talked about... Did you go, Jesse, to um, the hospital? And, like, right down the street from where you grew up? No, I think it was um, demolished by the time that I was like old enough to even think of going there. Didn't but... get demolished until after high school. Uh, because oh, okay. I know. What do I know? I know Jill went with her friends. What was that place called? Um, oh, Heights. Rutland Heights. Rutland, Rutland Heights. Yeah. And that was like an old hospital. People would talk about going to the morgue in the hospital and shit like that. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I Apparently my mom went there all the time as a kid. Like that was just their entertainment being kids in a small town yeah. you just go to the old uh, drink and smash bottles and <laughs> she was like an experienced new ager <laughs> yes 
<laughs> before she found Jesus, thankfully. So I think the address was 803 North Edgemore Drive in Wichita. Yeah, I think it's on Edgemore. Don't, dude, don't dox him. It's, no one lives there. Yeah, and there's I, nobody alive to dox. I just found docks. it on Google. I just found Come it on you, Google. You're putting them on blast right now. So <laughs> it's off market, surprisingly. Um, it's only 813 square feet, and its estimate is $83,000. Whew. That seems a little steep for a haunted yeah. house in and that it, part of town. It's like a hundred bucks a square foot. Sorry, if there's a if there's like a serial killing that took place in a house, I won't pay more than eighty dollars a square foot. It's just where I draw the line. Well, that's market value. You know, that's the free market dictating what a haunted house is worth. That's why uh, I don't believe in free markets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well. Uh, Go ahead and introduce our guest for this week. Uh, we were pretty excited to talk to this guy. Uh, so it's our comedian, actor. Oh, man, he's he's got kind of a long resume in the entertainment industry, but Nick Thune. And uh, you might have seen some of his comedy specials. He's been on Comedy Central several times, been on The Tonight Show and stuff like that several times. Pretty accomplished guy in that comedy entertainment sphere. And he also grew up in an evangelical church. And so we got to talk to him about his upbringing and some of the, uh, you know, crazy things that happened within that group, Uh, you know, some struggles with addiction and things like that. And then how that, you know, his time getting better and how that coincided with, you know, all of those different things. And just a really interesting guy with a lot of cool, unique experiences and, it was fun talking to him. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I saw his first comedy special um, on Comedy Central when it came out. Like, I don't know, I was in high school. I was 18, maybe 18 or something like that. I think I was a senior in high school when I saw it. So it was like to see that back then and, you know, real, find out years later that he had a very shared, similar, and sh- like there's a lot of shared experiences um, as he found his way into the entertainment industry, some of which are really funny as you some of them you can predict, right? Uh, if you're a church boy who's getting into the entertainment industry, the church has some things to say about Hollywood and, and <laughs> how secular and worldly it can be. So that was uh, fun to hear his experience navigating that too. So yeah, it was a good conversation. Um, thank you, Jesse, for coming on and hanging out with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. And enjoy our conversation with Nick Thune. Holy shit, everyone, it's 2022, and what better way to bring in the new year than with Captain Cecil's Coffee? New year, new coffees. With flavors like Atlantic and Daymark, there is a host of single-source blends, one that is surely going to fit your palate and make your morning a lot better. Captain Cecil's proudly donates 10% of all sales to various lighthouse preservation organizations across New England. Going into the holiday season, he offered us a very generous promo code of 20%. But because Captain Cecil's loves us and the growing up Christian community so much, he's decided to extend that 20% to our listeners going into the new year. So go to CaptainCecil'sCoffee.com and remember to enter the promo code Growing Up Christian at checkout for 20% off your order. And of course, all orders over $50 get free shipping. That's captaincecilscoffee.com 
Enter promo code Growing Up Christian. Hey everyone, we're back with our guest, Nick Thune. Nick, thanks so much for hanging out with us, man. It's really cool to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're out, you're out in LA, right? I am. I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah. How long have you been out there? A long time. You know, I've yeah, I think about 18 years now. Okay. Dang. Yeah, you're. Go ahead, Casey. Well, okay, so <laughs> we've been uh, following a few people either through headlines or uh, TikTok videos. Have you? been around or gotten to uh see any of these like televangelist super spreader events happening down there or not what right it? now what's the guy's name fuke there's what's, sean what's, fuke there's a, a lovely woman who casts out demons uh from people in la named Catherine crick uh she's a mm. tiktok sensation oh wow but you haven't run into any of them huh I have not. No, I think, I think if anything, they, they stay as far away from me as possible. Yeah, they're scared of uh, where all the liberal elites hang out. You're, I did see there, there was this, this one pastor that I, um, in a special and even on the tonight show had a joke that was based around how much of a fraud he is. And uh, I ran into him. Like he walked by me at the Burbank <laughs> airport and uh, I, I just could see fear absolute fear in him really he even he knew it i think that's funny i feel like those people often insulate themselves from oh no uh, this is i mean i like i've i'd said his name in a couple of things even i think at some point and yeah i mean he you know and and the whole you know my whole thing about it was just how easy it is and how not much intelligence it takes to be a megachurch pastor and yeah and, uh, you know, that I'd like looked up his best sermon. Like I was, I wanted to see like how, how easy it would be. Cause I know that it's easy, but I looked up his like biggest sermon, which was like in a stadium for like some sort of a huge, like, you know, like Justin Bieber, like whatever the guys from what Hillsong and, you know, like just uh, like, is it Carl the, Lentz? No, it's this guy uh, at the city church in, in Bellevue, Washington, um, okay. Judah, Judah Smith, I think is his name. Okay. Not familiar. He's one of those guys, but he, um, his whole sermon, he started off with, I'll never forget when I was three years old and I got lost at a grocery store. You ever feel lost? And that's how he, <laughs> that's how he opens his sermon. And I just like all these holes that I could punch into it with like, first of all, I know where he grew up. He grew up in Bellevue, Washington. It's where Microsoft is. Like he could have got lost in a grocery store within a 50 mile radius. And he might've been found by a better family, to be honest. Yeah. The, the <laughs> grocery <laughs> store is probably a whole food. You yeah, trade it and, up like a stray dog. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, but he equates it to people in the audience who feel lost that maybe want to commit suicide or have lost somebody close to them and don't know where they, where they stand anymore and, and, and who they are. And he said, I get, I get it because of this grocery store situation when I was three that I of course remembered because who wouldn't forget something that happened when I was three, you know? So traumatizing. Of course you wouldn't forget. And then I did, uh, I said, so here's my, you know, I kind of did my own example of what my sermon would be. And it's, uh, it, it's, it eventually gets to the opening, which is I'll never forget when I was two and I was playing with my favorite fire truck. And, you know, a lot of you guys know I was a big fire truck head. And 
Uh, I love these fire trucks and and this fire truck, I accidentally flipped out of my little, you know, toddler fingers and it landed on my big toe. And later that day, wouldn't you know it, but my toenail came off. (laughs) Have you ever lost somebody that you loved? (laughs) Because I can relate. And, and the thing is, is I did that on the, I did that on the tonight show. It's also one of my specials, but I did it on the tonight show. And the next morning I was on the plane and I start getting all these texts from my producer, the, the guy that was like the producer that they kind of assign you to when you're there doing the show. And um, he was like, we've gotten multiple letters and emails already delivered from the Christian Defamation League. Come on, dude. They're so sensitive. Dude. They go and, hard. Uh, and basically, The Tonight Show changed its um, policy uh, as far as religion and being able to talk about it. Well, that goes against your religious freedoms, if you ask me. I'm not okay. Yeah, with that. yeah. That's Dude, funny. That, megachurch I, pastor so is a personality type. It's like it's you're like born a megachurch pastor almost. That or you're going to become like a um, Tony Robbins or like that's a personality. They're, they're type. cut you from either, the same cloth. Yeah, they're find religion or you don't, and you yeah. just. I mean, it's like I have. To, I mean, at some point at, or some level, they have a, a certain credentials, right? Maybe they went to a Bible school or something, but like. When you look it's, at the, yeah. the type of content they're bringing, it's like, it's those connections constantly. It's bad. It's the pastors that they watched that they pick things from. You know, it's like if a comedian were to like watch comedians and then start using their jokes and their things, which is totally unacceptable. And um, it's, ma- it's, it's very similar to magic where, you know, in the business that I'm in, comedy, if it's not an original thought or an original take, which... Who knows if there are, you know, the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun, but you know, Amen. at what point do you, you know, you, you have your own version of it. And if you knowingly took it, or if it was through cryptomentia or any process in which you heard it at one point, forgot you heard it and then regurgitated it up and, and now it's yours and you don't remember, you know, but in comedy, you get you get blown to pieces oh, by yeah. a sawed-off like shotgun a of, of Twitter uh, attacks, and, yeah. and but in magic, there were no, there's no new, you know, they're trying to figure out new tricks, but they're all variations of old tricks, and a lot of them are just like handed down, like, hey, you want this trick? I'm gonna retire it, and you do it, yeah. and you kind of you put your own thing on it, and you do this, and you learn that, and that's that's being a pastor. It's like, hey, so here's all the tricks we've got. Um, why don't you put like, if you do this, but you wear a leather jacket, then, you know, you're kind of doing your own thing and these leather jackets and the way that they dress, it's always funny to me. The thought that like this guy's wearing a leather jacket, that that, this leather jacket has never even met a motorcycle. Like it doesn't even, like if somebody was like, Hey, there's these things that have two wheels with a motor. He's like, what? The jacket be like, what? No, I don't know. I've only been in an, I've, I've been in an Audi. I don't know what, you know, they have four wheels. I don't know. You know these suede boots don't ride motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, Dude, that's why I, preacher sneakers was a big. I I really oh, like yeah. love that when it first started. That's it, a great account. It's amazing. Like I think that shocked me that there was even clothing that expensive out there. Like some of the things that the people pop up in, it's like oh, this cardigan is twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> you know the nice thing about the nice and the. I think negative thing about what that account was. And I've been in like, I've been in talks with that person, like right when it was happening. And I was like, this is so great. Please keep going. Is he is, 
he's a Christian. And so he can only take it to a certain level before he's getting ridiculed by Christians and has to either walk back things that he says or presents it in a way that's not actually the unfiltered reality of what the situation is and what that pastor is doing with the money that those patrons are giving him. You know, like at some point he has to respect, he has to respect the organization a little bit. And it's nothing against the guy. I mean, he he seems like a really nice guy and, and, but you know, to actually cut into the business that is Christianity, you can't, you can't do it with a, you know, with a, with a heart of like empathy, because the thing is, is they don't have empathy. Mm-hmm. They, they preach it and they say they have it, but they're ready to cut and run from anything with zero empathy and zero regret. Yeah, it's true. When you, especially when you look at it, it's like that business standard, when you look at any, especially if it's televised or you have these people raking in a shitload of money, it's like, all they're trying to do is insulate themselves from criticism. Any criticisms viewed as persecution. And if it's come, especially if it comes from the inside, you can guarantee you're not going to have a safe space to be in that congregation anymore. They're not really oh. looking for that. So no, no, it's not. It's that, that's not what builds confidence in the people that are there that are begging or, to feel like they're yeah. okay. Or gets more followers. Um, it is a, a brand. It's a brand. Like it's a building follow a following getting more people in the building it's like it's brand building it's well it's 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 the same as like sales like i've sat through so many sales conferences and listened to so many you know speeches from quote unquote like sales experts and trainers and things like that and like a huge portion of that well first off a lot of these dudes are charlatans you know and Mm -hmm. And their only talent, you see it over and over again, like the dudes who rise to the top in some of these scenarios, like their only talent is continually selling the idea that they're an expert. Yeah, They can never get anything running in a store like you, they'll come into your business and they won't be able to help you turn it around or anything, but they will convince you that they're successful and that their know-how got them there. And I think that's part of the like... The, the clothing and all this stuff that these guys have, like as you know, televangelists and stuff is that they have to portray that image of, of success and surety and confidence because that's what people want. Like, I just want you to tell me that there's a plan here and that this all isn't chaos and something's, it's going to be better for me someday. And I don't want to hear that from a guy in uh, burlap. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, it's also like the same way that I started, like I changed my workout routine because one day I saw this guy and he just like, he was my height, but he had like the body that I wanted, you know, it was like lean and not like over muscular, but like he looked athletic, you know, like all that stuff. And he looked healthy, which is what I need in my life is health, you know? And so I was like, what do you, sorry, sir, what do you do? Like, how do you, how did you do that? You know, and he's like, oh, I climb. Okay. Climbing because I don't like to work out. So climbing as it's a workout, it's also a task and something that I like doing and I can accomplish something within it. And so I started doing that and it worked. Now, you know, if you look at these people that are on stage, these pastors and you're like, how'd you do that? I don't want to know how they did what they have. I honestly (laughs) don't want what they have. Like I would see that and be like, oh, I'm. I'm going to pretend like what they're doing is cool, but I don't want to know how they did it because I actually, I don't want to accidentally do it. <laughs> if I hear how they did it, then someday I accidentally find out how they became a fraud. I don't want it to be possible. 
<laughs> you prioritize growth over everything else and you oust anyone who talks out against you. Deacon contradicts you. Get rid of that prick. Yeah. So, like, Nick, let's get into your story a little bit. And uh, I mean, I, I I don't think I know really anything about it, which is why I'm excited to hear about it. Because um, you did grow up Christian. Uh, and I feel like that did it. Was that something that was part of your comedy early on? Because I feel like your I think your first your you did Comedy Central Presents in like 2007. Was that right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Right around there. Yeah, I, I, I think I was in, I know I was living at home at the time, uh, but I remember when I saw that and I feel like that was an instant connection. You Because you, you, you connected to that past of yours in your comedy, didn't you, even at an early stage? Yeah, I, I don't think anywhere in that special I really say anything about religion or anything. I, I don't, oh, really? I don't, I don't do that memories. until my, my third, but I... I am utilizing the bullshit that I learned in how to connect with an audience. You know, like I, you know, I, my whole thing was like watching pastors when they start to ask for money and the organ player like lays down on the fucking minor chord and you know, like the, the people behind him are like, okay, now it's our time to, to emotionally build these people up now that he's going to speak and hit this plateau. And then the money's going to come around, you know? And that to me was like my jokes. It's like, all right, so I'm going to take that and I'm going to build up these jokes that I'm telling people with this, this music behind it and create this emotional, you know, like what's, I don't even know what the word is, but just like this emotional path that I'm going to guide them through Mm -hmm. so that I can lead them to the punchline of this joke with the right feeling, you know, which is what I've, which was what church was, you know, I, I, I was in church young, but it wasn't like it wasn't until I was a, a, a notably bad kid that my parents started putting me into church. Oh, really? And yeah. And then my family had a bit of a time where they were like into it, but there, I was really the only one that stuck church out. Okay. My mom what was, was like, uh, was just non denominational. Ah, the only you know, kind. I mean, the, the one true kind, I should say. Yeah. You know, it was the kind that you don't have to like get too involved. You know, like you don't have to, no one's, you know, maybe a couple people are raising their hands during worship. Some people are standing up. I'm stoic. I sit down and that's my way of doing it. You know, like nothing too crazy. No one's barking down the aisles and, and, you know, speaking in tongues there. Did you do communion once a month before service? They did. Yeah. And yeah. I, I never did it though. I never did communion. <laughs> you just couldn't wake up an extra, an hour earlier. Just for yeah, the, ne- for but they the didn't really know. It was like, sometimes it was just part of the service. It was never before. It was never, never a thing really. Okay. Just once a month though. Yeah. So what, what's, what does it mean being, what do you mean by bad kid? Like what, what was it that uh, triggered your parents to get all excited? Uh, lying, stealing, um, <laughs> manipulation, uh, disobedience, no respect for authority, kind of all these things that I fell into. And what I loved about church right away was these guys that were like my junior high leaders, you know, like I remember this guy, Scott, he was cool, man. Like he, and he wasn't like sitting there telling me I was like, he was like listening to me in my struggles and then praying for me. And then that was it. Then it was like, all right, now I'm going to trust that you like are going to keep working on this on your own. And 
I'm not going to like sit here and force it onto you and I'm not going to follow you, you, you know, like over your shoulder, making sure you're doing this stuff. Like we're all just in agreement that we're going to tell each other, we're going to hope we can do better. And then I'll see you next Wednesday and maybe we'll play dodgeball. You know, it was <laughs> kind of <laughs> yeah. this thing. And what I loved about it too, which I, I really glommed onto was the fact that I was sick of being stuck just around the kids that were at my school. And I realized that by going to church, I was meeting kids from all over different school districts even that I would have never met. And it was like a new, new area. Like I made different guy friends than I had that I like now had like multiple groups of friends, like my school friends, my church friends, you know, like girls that I had crushes on at church that I would have never even known about otherwise. And, and, um, I loved it. And then I loved that they, because of, so I got put in and then I really fell off. I went like hard into drugs and alcohol. Um, after my, my younger years. And then we like left the church, but still had contacts there still had like the guy, Kurt, that was like the guy that ran the soundboard. That was the cool dude that like took me to Dave Matthews concerts or whatever, you know, <laughs> like the guy that had a cool Jetta. And like, I went to rehab and I went to this like lockdown mental Institute for about a month and a oh, half. Wow. How old were you about 17? Okay. Oh, you're still in high school and shit when this all yeah. was going down. Yeah. Wow. So I got kicked out of school and, and sent in, into all this and like arrested and kind of sent into this. And then I came back and there was a moment where none of my friends knew where I was for a month and a half at my school. I, I just disappeared. It was crazy, you know, and wow. my parents weren't telling anybody. And I come back and it's like a moment of these kids in my neighborhood walking down the street and I see them like, oh, these are the guys. These are the guys that I was like partying with, but really kind of the head partier of like I was the fucking crazy person. And they're like looking at me and right in that moment, Kurt pulls up in his fucking Jetta. And he's like, Hey, you want to go take a drive around the lake? Which was kind of like Kurt's thing. He would just drive me around the lake, which was, you know, like a, a half hour drive. And we just talk. And I, I just hopped in his car. And then two weeks later, he got me into this, this camp that was always the most fun, like summer camp with, you know, girls in bikinis and like a, you know, the rope swing and the blob and, you know, like the worship band. And, you know, we're all out in Northern California now because I was in Seattle and it was fun. And I, I accepted God into my heart that weekend. Like it, and it felt like a very real, very um, earth shattering thing where I knew that I wanted to be more than I was capable of being as I was. And so far, this, the most mind blowing thing you've said is that at your Christian camp, there were girls in bikinis. That's, you're right. that's what's standing out to me. <laughs> this changed, this changed like, uh, like a year or two later, this changed, but yeah. So they, modest tankinis or one pieces. Yeah. They were like, we'll trust them. And oh, maybe not wear that one. But then they were like, all right, we need to, we need to tie all these girls down a little bit and <laughs> control what they're doing. But, um, yeah, I felt it. And then I got immediately involved and I, I was the guy, I was the guy that they wanted to re like walk out onto the main stage in the main big church where all the adults were. That was like, this kid changed his life. He found oh, yeah. Jesus. They took me to Mexico to help build a church and paint walls. And I come back and share my testimony at the church and everybody's like, what a good kid. And, and I'm getting this feedback. That's like people like me. And I like to talk. I like, I like being in front of these people. And then, you know, I'm in charge of announcements now and, and the college group and the announcements were always like, you know, you can't park here, but you can park there. Um, <laughs> you know, then at the end of it, I would say something like, and if anyone has any questions or wants me to pray for him, I'm Pastor Nick. Thank you. 
And then they would come, come up and be like, he's listen, he's not a pastor. Um, he's not supposed to say that, but it was all like, I'm the funny guy, you know? And then I started playing guitar in the worship band and, and I loved it. I was like leading groups of kids. I, I, I was taking, I was going to the camps that I went to now as the counselor. And I was like one of the main guys, like the, the poster boy of these, of this like youth group kind of congregation of like this exciting person. And I was involved in like having a mentor, this guy, Joe, that actually I still talk to that was like, you know, like the leader of my discipleship group and, you know, like paid all my, all my legal fees and like paid my phone bill and like treat, you know, like helped me, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And I built a lot of these great relationships, but what's funny is that all of a sudden, and I'm now like, I speak at the junior high group once a month, like the main sermon kind of thing down there and running the high school group and this and that. And I get this idea to be on a reality. There's like this reality show that they're casting in Seattle. That's called hot or not. Yes, dude. I totally remember that. (laughs) Yeah. And MTV, right? No, it was on ABC. It was like a big network show. Yeah. Oh man. It was this big network show. And I went to this cattle call with my sister's bathing suit on. Uh, (laughs) And at the time, you know, I was working with the kids at the church. I was also working at the boys and girls club as a teen director with the kids and funneling kids from there into the church, you know, because they like, we want to hang out with you more. I'm like, yeah, come to meet God then. Then we can do that. Um, And I go down and, and in like, you know, thousands of people are trying to get on the show and I walk in and they interview me and I'm in, in these, you know, in bikini bottom and, and they were like, yeah, you're on the show. <laughs> you know, like, I think I was one of the only people from Seattle that they chose. And I got to go down. Like it was like three days later, I'm like down in Los Angeles and I was doing it for like two weeks and I got like, you know, like sent off the show or whatever. Cause I was not hot. They should see you now. I mean, I know Lorenzo Lamas is the one who weighed in on it. I think. Oh, fuck that guy. And I got back and I, w- that next Sunday I was supposed to do the sermon for the junior high group. And I got called into the past, the, the head pastor's office and said that there was you still wearing the bikini or did you yeah. change it that under, under my clothes, but yeah. Okay. And, uh, I got called into the office and they're like, listen, we're going to like, you were not going to have you speak this weekend. And, um, some people are concerned about this thing that you just did. And, um, we're going to like, kind of have you step back from being involved in like the youth group right now. And I just was like, what you think what I did was serious? Like, did I do anything wrong? Like, did I say bad words? Like I didn't like, I, you know, like the whole time I was there, I was like a likable guy. I represented myself. And if people were to look deeper into me and find out that I was a Christian, represent God. Like, I, you know, I wasn't walking around like with a Bible, but that's that's not what anyone should do in my belief. You were so, shining the light of Christ with yeah. your life like you're supposed to do. Was it the bikini? Was that, yeah. was that what I, did And it? it was just all of it. The type of the show, the secular aspect yeah. of it, you know, like just the look of it because they the didn't understand it. it. So yeah. now they're going to want to see it because you're on it. Now their yeah. parents are going to be upset. It's like it creates a tidal wave. It's wild. So I fought it. I fought it. And I had like uh, somebody else that was like one of the pastors at the church. Like I met with them, talked to him about it. And he walked with me back into the office and basically like got it fixed. And, and I said, that's great, but I'm, I think I'm done. <laughs> and I moved to LA not too long after that and just, started, I tried to get involved in some churches here, this church mosaic. And 
like I, I became like a leader for like the younger, like one of their groups right away. And so you were done with that church mostly, but you hadn't, it wasn't like you were done with, you weren't done with Christianity yet. You were still, I didn't think I was, but I, I I also was like, you know, like, do I really not need to like be having sex with women? You know, like all these kind of things in my mind, like, do I really need to not be like, like I want to do stand-up, so I'm out around some fucking crazy people, you know, like am I and I but I was myself and I did the mosaic church for a while and what what bothered me was the pastor would go up and say, Listen, you guys know I'm not taking a paycheck from this, right? I'm volunteering my time to speak here. But after the service, would you mind buying my books, my jeans, my bags? all of my products, which is, you know, help get my book to be a New York times bestseller, <laughs> you know, like the way that they do that. And they were cheating that system. And, yeah. and, and then I got asked to be on the Mark Marin podcast and Mark and I had had a, we'd had a tumultuous relationship where we were, he, you know, at the time he was very bitter towards the younger comedians and I, you know, like egged mm-hmm. him on. And, 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 and so basically at that time, early on in his podcast, he was bringing people on that he was going to argue with because that's kind of what his I, podcast was So you had already started for. your stand-up career then? Uh, yeah, this is, yeah. While you were at Mosaic, were you at, were you at a church while you were doing stand-up at Mosaic? Yeah, I was at a church, Mosaic. Then I went to this other church called Ecclesia. And um, I was now like, you know, I walk in and everyone's like, hey, will you read my script? Like, because I'd been on The Tonight oh Show and God. stuff, yeah, you know, like. Yeah. Were just, you working clean? For at that time, did you was that your yeah. thing too? Yeah, okay. I mean, I, yeah, I've never been too dirty, you know, but yeah. definitely clean. And um, I got uh, like uh, um, I got asked to be on this podcast, and Mark kind of came at me on the podcast, found out about the Christian thing, and really went with it. And I I remember leaving the podcast, being like, I just people are going to think I'm an idiot. Yeah, you know, he ma- he made me feel dumb about the things that <laughs> oh. I believe. <laughs> And a month goes by and he puts it up and the exact opposite happened. I got messages from like Sarah Silverman and all these like big comedians that heard my story and they were like, man, Nick, you come off so good. And like, I remember Anthony Jesselneck texted me. He was like, if all Christians were like you, I wouldn't hate him. You know, like I came off right. But then I was getting messages. No punchline. Uh, <laughs> the last nice thing he ever said to like <laughs> You know, I mean, it was, it was like... It felt good. And also it, it just made me realize, cause I, I was getting messages from people in the church that were like, you're a fraud. This is that. How's your testimony? You know, like, Oh Christ. Ugh. And I was like, I can't believe that I just did something where actually major influencers in stand-up comedy and like the work and like the, you know, the entertainment business are saying, if that's what Christianity is, I don't hate it. But Christians were saying, you're too secular. You're not, that's not right. So I, I actually did the thing that Jesus would have asked anyone to do and reach out to people that were unknown and presented it in a way that was right. But the Christian church did not feel that way about it. And that's when I just cut. I was like, I'm done with this false narrative that we're all good and everyone else around us is suffering but let's not really get into it because if you get too into it, then you're, um, you're too secular and you're too, you know, like they have you're this too weird relationship of the world. That. Yeah. Where it's like, they, they love, they love the people who are a star first, but then they also like, Oh, side note, I'm also a Christian, you know? Uh, it's and and it goes for people who are conservative too. like, you know, 
you hear about how great it is that John Voigt's out there and he's talking about, you know, voting for Mitt Romney or whatever. But yet it's never like like anyone who wants to go that route or it's almost like anybody who attracts too much attention to themselves. Like they're trying too hard to make a career out of something or they choose a path of work that's based around like promoting themselves. It it gets pushed down and like the, the squeaky wheel in churches always is the one that sets the pace for everybody. It's, you know, there's 900 people in the church who didn't have a problem with you being on hot or not. But the three people who did have a problem definitely spoke their minds on it, you know? Yeah. And so now it's the narrative. And, it and it's funny. Those people were jealous. Those three people were obviously just jealous. They were not hot. I remember the one. Hot. And they were the in main, you. That's my guess. The main pastor that, that had a problem with it, his daughter was a year younger than me, I think. And um, there had been like this video that me and my friends made that was like a promotional video for some church event. And our shirts were off in it. And, um, and somebody basically said that like that made them feel tempted. And <laughs> I would have killed to hear that when I was in high school. And, and, that, you, and that's what Perry? set that pastor. His daughter told him that people were like that, that, that was a reaction. And he, I think that's what really said like, oh, this Nick's not a good. Do you He's want us to share a to... link to his daughter's OnlyFans or? she's actually a really great person who i still (laughs) keep in contact with and kind of got out of that whole bs but yeah man so did you so after you had just decided that i because you can say you're done with it right you're like okay this is not for me anymore the response that i'm seeing the strange juxtaposition uh such a bizarre outcome especially because you felt shitty about yourself after it you were like Oh, I definitely feel dumb with the way I portrayed myself. Like, yeah. I don't, did you think you came off too Christian? Was that what you were afraid of? Or? Yeah, I, I thought that I came off too Christian and also that I came off dumb because, okay. you know, when somebody's like, t- explain to me how it's possible that Jesus Christ, you know, like actually getting into these things. And I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I honestly, it gave me a feeling inside that I, that, I, I listened to and I listened to this feeling because it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And it made me feel like there was a protector out there that had his eye on me. And, and, and I don't know, that's it. It's like the first time I felt a crush on a girl. It's like, I had no idea that I was going to be chasing that feeling the rest of my life. You know, like, like, what is this? Wow. I want this, you know, I want to be in love with somebody. I want to feel loved. I, you know, and, and if you're a love junkie, then God is really great. (laughs) You know, if you're really into it, I mean, yeah, yeah. but I, yeah, I thought I, you know, the concern of everything that I did, that if the Christians were going to not like it and the non-Christians were going to think it was lame because any art that came out of the Christian community is absolute horrible bullshit. Hey, wait a second. Have you heard the new Skillet album? Uh, I, I haven't. I actually take that back. What I just said. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. If you're wondering, you know, go listen to the song "Shout Your Freedom" and get back to me on that. That's what I want to say. And you know, these I love it because these people go around and tour, and they're touring under the thing like we're coming to worship and meet God. Not we're coming to pay tickets to watch you play music. 
you know, like it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a thing, but also the music is so bad. And so I don't know, I don't know how they have never produced something that didn't sound fucking horrible. Like, I don't know how Bob Dylan is the only person that put out a Christian album. That's like actually like a good album. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, it's a, it's a strange Like the CCM market is, uh, it, it's so calculated and a lot of them are like, they, it, at least my understanding of it is. And from people we've talked to on the, the, on this podcast who have been involved in it. It's like, it's all like conversations on the back end about like how the lyrics need to be structured, how the songs need to be structured. Like it's such a high production. I mean, you could argue that it's not great production, but there's a high amount of, it's like a ton of production goes into these things. Yeah. It's too much orchestrated. And And the vocals, there's like a twist to it that it like, for some reason they've like leaned into, it's like, it's like the lifetime channel. It's like, Hey, so this stuff we're making is like, we're making all these movies and, everybody knows it's kind of a fraud and we did it really quick. And, and the actors probably said these lines once, but people yeah, are watching it. A single read. Hey, Jody areas Two: the revenge. Yeah. <laughs> I'll occasionally, if I'm commuting, I'll, uh, I'll find myself like landing on Christian radio just to see what's going on these days. And oh, I love I re- it. Do you? Okay. I want to talk about this for a second too, then because I remember in high school. So like, uh, I guess going back, uh, uh, between 15 and 20 years ago, right? People talking about Christian music's always 10 years behind. That was a joke. I don't know if that's still a joke. I, it's not really a joke. Uh, it's just a, a, it's kind of a fact. But I didn't, I didn't have a good enough like finger on music uh, to know that that was true. Uh, but now I'm like, so been out of it. For, I, I, I've never really liked Christian music. When I was in church, never. I was like, I can't listen to this. It's not for me. Uh, music comes up a lot here. Uh, we grew up, Casey and I came up on like the tooth and nail, hardcore metal scene. Like that kind of is what our mm-hmm. salvation was. And I knew your types. We, yeah. So we, yeah, <laughs> so we got to then like shit on everything else. Like we were better than everyone. Uh, and it gave us a sense of belonging. But anyway, now I'm like listening to Christian music and I'm like, it's changed so much from like what it was when I was younger. Uh, what, what I think of for contemporary Christian music, which is just, I don't know, the generic few chords, the, uh, your David Crowders, you I'm sure I'm going to, th- all these names are familiar. Jeremy camp. Like yeah. they're very like se- similar sounds, similar vocal patterns, all the same kind of music. But now I I'm, I'll stop on it and I'm like, they're really picking up on like kind of pop with like some maybe eight oh like an eight oh eight machine going like so to set the beat and you're like I've stopped on it and been tricked and it's like oh they've progressed but they progressed to like ten years ago so it is still ten years yeah. behind and I think that's I mean I remember I remember getting this it was a yellow packet and it was in my high school group and the yellow packet was a packet full of, if you like this band, then you'll love this band. (laughs) If you like Pearl Jam, then you'll love the David Crowder band or whatever. Like, and and it was, I just, it was such a joke. I remember like going through it with my friends and it it was, it was, (laughs) if you like Alanis Morissette, you know, it's like, what? No. Anyway, it was, if you like Eminem, do you know what I, if I got to test you right now? If you liked Eminem, do you know who they sent you towards? <laughs> um, Luke Lucas something. Oh, green or no? 
You're throwing down a name. You I don't know. KJ52. KJ52, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I don't know that. I, or like uh, DC, not like DC Talk. No. So I, you're a little older than That's us. So I think you got like uh, probably seven or eight years on us. So it might be. Uh, there is an artist that I really love that I've met since that was a Christian artist that's kind of always battled with what he believes and and is David Bazan. Oh, yeah. Pedro and yeah. the Lion. And, yeah. Yeah. He is Pedro the Lion. What, his, his album. Um, what was he, that? It, what was his album where it's just like his. It, it kind of like took Christianity by the balls a little bit when he put it out. Yeah. Uh, Curse Your Branches uh, was like, mm-hmm. oh, what the fuck am I doing here? Kind of an album. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, no one expected. Album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm always curious about Christian summer camps. And it sounds like you went to a bunch of them. Yeah. Because uh, it seems like, you know, you were definitely within that Christian community, but you always kept a foot on the outside. Like you weren't completely like sequestered from the real world. Like, like no, I, I had like you know, real friends and yeah. Yeah, was, I was uh, always out. Like the, the camps that you went to, was it, were they crazy or was it a summer camp where you heard about Jesus at the end or something Every like day that? there's a sermon in the morning, you know, and at night there's another one with worship and, and there's like times during the day when you meet with your leader. But, you know, a majority of it was hanging out around the pool the man-made lake that they had, climbing, ma- mountain biking, riding horses, um, going to this like waterfall and jumping like off this twenty-foot rock into this river. Like there was just all this stuff that was really, really fun, you know. And I was in it, and I immediately found all these loopholes. Like I got in trouble once because one day there's a, a group goes to you know there's like three different groups or something. Or four groups and you're in like a blue group and red, you know, and that determines the day that you go to the waterfalls or the day that you do the horse ride. And, and um, one of them is like, if you're the, the day before you go to the waterfall, you make lunch for the people that are going to the waterfall that day. And I put um, unused, but, but band-aids like with the things off, like I was putting them in like every other sandwich <laughs> and, and like I put some pubes in some of them I put like a spoon a spoon in one and it did not go well it did not go over well and they know you but, by your pubes yeah I mean it was, it, if you looked at any group there you'd be like well if Nick's not in that group then somehow he got into that group and did that I mean it would have just been like all fingers point to me no matter what <laughs> you were a challenging youth but also like we love Nick because he's funny and he's authentic and you know, he, we see his ups and downs and we like that, you know, um, as, as long as we can get him to come back to Jesus and use that for our story later. Yeah. But somebody's going to take me on like a walk and talk to me and be like, Hey man, you don't want to do stuff like that. You know, like, <laughs> but also like, you know, I was making out with girls in the woods and like, you know, yeah, it, it was, there was like a dance one night, you know, like all these things that were fun. And you just to, to be from Seattle and be in California was cool. And, you know, it was just fun. Yeah. That sounds a lot more fun than what mine were. <laughs> yeah. Ours were a little different. You weren't allowed to like, like come and hey, the, contact with the opposite sex, things like that. And it's like mm-hmm. the activities were always like an afterthought. It was like, we're taking these kids here so that we can like, quarantine them from their parents and then hit them with both barrels every day, you know? Yeah. 
And oh, uh, in the afternoon, we're going to go canoeing, but we don't have enough canoes for everyone. So we're going to hook inner tubes behind the canoes. And so some people will tow the rest of the campers in the three canoes that we, (laughs) you know, it's always stuff like that where it ended up being fun because it was a disaster, but it was a disaster every time. And it just wasn't home, which was always for, yeah, I was a homeschooled person. So it was like Uh. any, any opportunity I had to not be home to get out of the house. And that was my only outlet. Church was the only outlet I had for, I mean, middle and high school entirely. So I knew like, I, I knew a couple guys in the same, same boat. Were they weird? Yeah. Did you, were yes. you like, look, yeah, they're nice yeah. guys, but you know, no, I liked Yeah. They were good. You know, all the guys that I met there were good people. Like I, I, I never met anyone that was more malicious than me. <laughs> and okay, I so- also like, and deep down, I think, you know, with, with all those things that I was doing at that age, I still was also like a person that was generally good and wanted to be good, but struggled with addiction and stuff that these people had no clue about. They didn't mm. understand. Yeah. But so when you look back on that and you think of all these people who are good, uh, but then when you look at what you, when you look at what we kind of see now culturally and it feels really bad. It feels like a lot of bad actors at the top. Maybe it's a lot of manipulation and people are just along for the ride. I don't really, I, I don't know uh, where, I guess that's one of the things we're always trying to make sense of is what's going on inside these buildings. But when your experience is that you never met anyone who was less malicious or sorry, more malicious than you or not like, what do you think of when you think of like Christianity now? Do you think people have changed? Do you think it's, uh, when you look at what's going on in these buildings, that's so unsettling and, and kind of uh, scary, depending on the one you're looking at. Um, I mean, do you think the people have changed or do you think, what do you, what do you, what's, what do you, what do you make of it now? Like uh, what I'm referring project? to, what I'm referring to are kids in high school that yeah don't know yet that are just, you know, because when, when you when you are with somebody and you have a moment where so, like a worship song is played and like in a whole group and it feels like something, you know, mm-hmm. like and you you see somebody in pain, you know, like I, I never at school saw somebody in pain emotionally. I never saw anyone at school talk about their parent that had died or their, you know, whatever had happened and, and be open about it and see how it like shocked them to the core. I didn't that doesn't happen at school. So at church, yeah. that stuff would happen. And, and us as the kids, we're blind. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes. We don't know anything. We just know this is great. And all these adults are here to serve us. They're also here because it makes them feel better. You know, it's like I'm in the, I, I'm, I'm a sober person. And, and, you know, a big part of being sober is, is the services that you do. You know, if somebody calls me because they're in trouble, I'm, that's a service for me. It makes me feel good. And that's okay to feel good. That's okay, actually, because it makes me want to stay sober. It reminds me of how I don't want to feel. It also knows that I'm in the program and I'm working it and I'm there. Part of working it is helping out these younger people, you know, and that's what the, the church thing was. But I don't know. It, it, it's the motivation was so weird because I was also working at the Boys and Girls Club as a full time staff member. And I was recruiting volunteers to come in and volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. So these are people that there's no God behind it. There's no pull to people seeing this and thinking, oh, they're a good Christian. It's just they wanted to come in and volunteer because they could dance and they thought maybe I could teach some of these girls how to dance or, you know, whatever. And when I 
I remember like kind of being around those volunteers and, and seeing the no pride, no, like, look at me, here's what I'm doing. There's no like no group that they hang out. T-shirt. Yeah. Those volunteers don't hang out and pat each other on the back. They don't even know the other ones exist. They come in at different times, you know? That's a, I, that's a really interesting point because what, if you've ever been part of a, a church outreach program, so many of them have, have the t-shirts. They have that, like, we're part of this church. Like you can see it on us. We're going to make it known. Uh, they might invite you thereafter, but when you work, when you volunteer in an organization or participating in one that's outside of, outside of Christianity, it's like, there's no bait and switch. There's no, no. hook. There's no like, Look who we are. Look, we want you to know we're doing this because of Jesus. And I, I don't want to assume that everyone's motivations for that aren't great. I don't know. I, I'll try not to assume too much. But I know when I, I know when I was wearing those shirts, I always felt like I don't want to. I don't want to wear this shirt. Like, yeah. Why do I have to wear this shirt? Why does it? Why does? why can't we just do something? And it felt like always calling attention back to what you were or where you're from or trying to, and if anyone wants just to let you know, you know, we do meet Sunday mornings over, over there. And it's like, yeah, it just, In and service I know they're the doing it because they, they believe that like, cause they're convinced that this message, this message of, um, you can't do this. You can't be good or nothing matters without, without Jesus because that's going to seal your fate or whatever. That's a reduction of maybe how they'd phrase it, but it is, it, it, we were kind of taught to believe that anyone who's volunteering or trying to do something good, if they didn't attach Jesus to it, that it was actually worthless. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, you know, yes. So I had a kid that was one of the kids that was younger than me at church come to me um, because he got a DUI and he came to me at the boys and girls club and said he needed, you know, community service hours and which I gave him. And I remember having a conversation with him and this was when I was kind of pulled out of the church and I was like, listen, man, like, you know, you, you messed up, you got a DUI, like you now get to help people. And it's not based on if God, this is how you're going to earn God's love back. It's just, this is what you should be doing. You shouldn't be, you should be more careful about that stuff and you should be focused on this, you know, and, and there's no God thing here. And I'm not wanting you to tell people that I'm a good Christian and I prayed for you and, 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 you know, all this stuff It's just like, you know, do it better. And, um, I mean, that story ends really sadly. He died in Afghanistan. Oh, Um, poor guy. I mean, he was such a good kid, but I, I always saw that struggle in him, the church struggle of like, he was was such a good person Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, but the church just kind of ate him up and spit him out. And, and that's why he, that, you know, that's why he got a DUI because he probably drove because he's not supposed to be drunk. So if he had some drinks, you know, like, you know, all those things. And right after that, he went into the the military and then, yeah, yeah it was really that's awful, man. The, the shame-based message will is it, it prevents people from dealing with their demons more than it, it, anything. And I oh, think God, yeah. all of you us have had it. so much direct experience with that. Whether I got an STD. <laughs> How could you? I, have when, you I was, when I was 17 and in church and, uh, 
You got I didn't it know. in church. Good. Wow, Nick. Come on. No, not in church. I mean, the SCD <laughs> was, it was on me when I was in church, but uh, no, it was just something simple that all I needed was a pill and a shot. You know, it wasn't like a permanent thing, but I didn't know what to do. And I was ashamed of what I'd done. So it, I, I almost like cost myself more by letting this thing live in me rather than just going to a doctor and them saying, oh yeah, that's actually really fixable. And you, you, it's, you don't have it again. Oh my God. <laughs> How did so they wild. deal with like, what was their mess? So like you, your stint at rehab and like addiction and stuff like that, is that something that did they have you talk about that during your, your sessions and stuff? Cause it's, it's always a weird yeah. lines that they draw where it's like, these sins are good to talk about. This is a good point to bring up for the church. These are shameful and we don't want to hear about, you know, yeah. sexual you know, sins and stuff. Glorifying stuff and getting into, you know, the nitty gritty of it and, and, and saying it in a way. Cause I mean, you know what? Yeah. Actually saying I got an STD that was something I could just take a pill and it was gone. That's saying like, hey, man, yeah, go out and fuck. <laughs> You'll be fine, you know? <laughs> That's the message they were worried about. But, you know, the message is, is you messed up, but then God created this thing that allowed you to learn from your mistake and grow and not have it, you know, affect you forever or something, you know? But there was only certain things you could really bring up in your testimony to, to say that, you know, like in ways of saying it that were either self-deprecating or, you know, how bad it got or how bad it was. And even if you're making that up a little bit, you know, which I think a lot of those people are doing, they're, they're amplifying oh, these. Yeah. None of those people situations. hated drugs as much as they say they do. None Especially the party testimony guys, like the oh, ones yeah. that come in for that purpose. And they're like, let me tell you something. The seventies were wild. I mean, I was doing every drug. I was blah, 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 which they don't, we always laugh about like, the party testimony person is always a guy. Like they never really let a woman come up and talk about her wild sexual past and drinking no. and drugs and stuff. It's like, it's gotta be from a guy. It's always kind of like a good old boy. How about that story followed mm -hmm. by a, but then I found Jesus and I trust me, it sounds cool, but Jesus is better. <laughs> <laughs> it, but women's testimonies are always looking for love in all the wrong places, but they never mention sex. It's like they're not, they don't usually mention that maybe once or twice because they really found this guy they thought was everything. Yeah. And, and you can't, I mean, again, like you're not supposed to say that you had sex. Like you're no. supposed to say, like you're supposed to muffle it within, like, a, I was tempted. Yeah. Um, so I had sex, like, I think 35 times with this person, just based off temptation. And yeah. then uh, <laughs> I was tempted. So I found the nearest bathroom and jerked off the next urinal. And, yeah. And let's like, get into, you know, you know, how good it felt. If you guys want to hear about that, too, yeah. the physical touch and <laughs> they don't want that. <laughs> For a moment, I forgot that I had to be here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, or the worst ones are like, I, I know people who've been like, I would, I was having sex with this girl and then I felt so bad about it. I tried to convert her to Christianity while we were in bed together the next morning. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh my it's, God. It's I can't great. imagine I the playing. inner conflict going on there. Now take it. Now I didn't have sex until I was married. So I, I, I made it. I, I yeah, finished, the, right. finished the race, fought the good fight. I can, uh, I'll be in heaven without you, but it, it's fine. Are you familiar with the term soaking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're learning about Mormons and it's, it's, it sounds kind of fun. They have a lot of little like rituals and stuff that would make it exciting. Ooh, I dated, um, 
a woman for a while that's like and not a Mormon anymore. Um, but her, I mean, it's crazy. It's, I also like shot a movie, the first movie I ever acted in, I shot in Provo, Utah and all the, the guys were all Mormons and really, you know, all of them, like I was like the bad guy. So like all of them were like, they would only come to me and be like, Hey, do you want a Xanax or you want a Vicodin? Like they were all doing drugs, but they didn't know the other ones were doing it, but they all were coming to me with them. <laughs> you were the hub on that drug wheel. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah, a so, great place though. Is that, is that not like such a beautiful spot in the country? Oh that, yeah. Especially like there's that route from like park city to Provo. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I it's love those little routes like that. Ones. Yeah. I know it's, it's, uh, it is very, it's very odd when you get into that state because of the alcohol. Like, I mean, I don't drink anymore, but like, I just remember like, you know, wanting like a fucking hard drink or something. And they're like, okay, so here's a thimble of um, whiskey because that's all we're allowed to do. And they're monitored by this pouring system. And yeah, it's like, really? Oh yeah. <laughs> you got to stay and all seated the beer there, it. All the beer there, including like major brands make different beer for Utah that has lower alcohol percentage. Interest. I, I that's so wild. So uh, you met, you you've said you're sober. What's um you mentioned in high school your your difficulty with drugs and alcohol. But um at what point in your what point in your life did you get sober? What kind of led to that? Well, I did in high school. Okay. And that's when I got into church and then um but then it it you know, my late 20s I started drinking again just like the church, I kind of backed out of AA, you know, like I moved and just didn't get involved, okay. which is an easy way to do it. And so you were uh, actually part while, well, so after that, all the shit in high school, you, you were kind of in a, you were in AA, you were trying to abstain from all that. And even while you're getting into the comedy scene, you're still kind of had like a, hadn't gotten involved. I know that's like a constant conversation around comedy and comics is, sobriety and the amount of the drinking the yeah. lifestyle. I don't know. It's like, I mean, I started sober. I started doing stand up sober and, and was like, you know, it was really like, that's when I, I really like took off. It was great. And then once I like made it, then I started drinking and then it just turned into a, you know, the way you find yourself down at the bottom. It's like, yeah, you know, and, 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 uh, part of, you know, the program is, you know, admitting that, that, that there's something bigger than you, that there's a higher power out there. And, 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 you know, within the program, people say it's a doorknob or it's a light bulb, you know, and they, they all choose whatever they want to say their higher power is. It's just them saying, I'm not it. I'm not the one. There's something else. And I still truly believe that not without a making me believe it. I look outside and I feel like there's something else that's not me, you know, I didn't like go into some like backtracking of like, I'm now an, an atheist and, you know, it's, I just went into like, I don't, there's something out there and I, there's proof all over the world that people are searching for it in different ways. And maybe they're found it and they're happy or they're not. And I'm okay with that search. You know, I like it. So yeah. when, when you left the church, it wasn't, it wasn't like you're in, your entire worldview was Christianity. And now you're like unmoored from the reality that you grew up in and stuff. Like it was just maybe sort of a lens that covered colored some of the things that you saw around you. And I mean, did you, did you lose any part of your, 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how to say it, but like, did it affect you in a negative way when you decided to just push back from it? No. I mean, what happened was, is that I just went into my addiction, which is, you know, which is going to cause you to be a person that you're not eventually, especially if it's, you're abusing alcohol, your brain chemistry changes, you really are becoming another person and your body's like not getting enough dopamine or this or that, or it's like depleted of all these things that you need to actually be a person that can function and say, I'm okay, (laughs) you know? And, um, so then that leads down the path of just doing things that you would never do and sins that, you know, like would be considered sins in the church, but like really like the way I look at it is like, Oh yeah, that was a fuck up. Yeah, that was bad. Um, it's not beyond repair. I'm not going to allow this, like the shame that I got brought up in. I can't live in that. I fucked up. Oh, well, like, what do I do with that? It's so funny to hear you talk about it from that perspective, because so from, from our experience in, it's like this big movement you're probably familiar with the term of ex evangelical. It's like everybody knows all the stats are out. Like they're millennials, especially leaving the church in droves, Gen Z's probably then it's not looking too great. Uh, they're not looking at a lot of, they're not, yeah, they're going to have to maybe take on some Jehovah's witness tactics and really <laughs> get out on the streets and figure out how to get people back in those doors. Cause it's not, their future is not looking great in a lot of situations, but, um, a lot of people grew up in it and felt like they have, like they're just inundated with these shame-based messages and they're kind of reeling from leaving it. It's like hard, it hurts to leave. It's like ripping out a part of who they are. Like they were so maybe it's because you came into it a little bit later. Um, maybe it's not. I mean, we do know people who grew up in it. They're just like, yeah, fuck it. And they left and they didn't give a shit. But it, it's so that's what's so interesting to me is looking at people who have these different differing experiences where i mean people have been like they kept it inside for like five six seven years that they don't really know if they believe any of this but so much of their life is wrapped up in the community like and they're still afraid to admit that they don't believe it verbally even uh Mm -hmm. they don't know how that's going to affect their relationships and uh, so when when you can just look at it and be like you know this I don't think this encompasses all of reality or I don't think that this is actually uh, the only way to look at things or it, because of some of the experience you had, it's not for you anymore to be able to like kind of process it like that and just kind of take your own, whatever your ethos was and, and broaden it and, and take that experience outside of the four corners of the church walls uh, without it really seeming to drag you down much. It's really fascinating to me like so you, i mean so you're you're doing comedy and you have this mark Mar- you do the mark Marin podcast you realize yeah. shortly after that that like oh this isn't for me the uh, and the response i'm getting from these comics or these other people is so encouraging um did you have like was there any aftershock for you at all of leaving or were you just kind of at peace with that I was just like at no, peace with it. No, Jesus is going to send me to hell now. Like, no, no. And I didn't avoid anybody and I didn't, you know, it's just like, Hey, here's who I am now. I've decided like, you know, I'm not going to be trapped in this, this view that you guys have of this world and God. And, but if you want to talk to me, I'm still here. Um, but I'm not going to be worried about the fact that my comedy is secular and that I'm not out here pushing a message and I'm not going to worry about what any of you fucking think at all because it means zero 
it fucking means nothing. And <laughs> I, I just was like, I mean, part of the reason I moved to Los Angeles from Seattle too, was I was starting to perform stand up, and I didn't want to bomb in front of people that knew me. Mm. I wanted to go and, and be in around people that doesn't, I won't see him again. Maybe I will, maybe I, but you know, I don't know him. And a little bit of that, I think too, partially was me with the church. Like if I leave, I don't have to be involved anymore. Like I don't have to sit here and walk back all the stuff. It's just like, see ya. Yeah. And they probably didn't really come looking for you. I mean, they don't usually look too far and wide for people who walk away. No, no, they don't really. And, and the judgment and, and all that stuff is, it's funny because it doesn't affect me. So if they're feeling it, then that's their own conversation. And I'm just living rent free in their trapped minds of, of <laughs> whatever they think is happening to me. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, you know what it's actually happening is I'm, jo- I'm enjoying my life like a lot more because there's not shame involved with anything that has to do with <laughs> uh, that I'm a fucking animal and I want to like <laughs> do something. You know what I mean, like I'm not just, yeah, anyway, I don't know. It, Dude, I love it. I I think people will find, I honestly think people will hear that and find that so encouraging because again, lots of people don't have that experience. They're like, they leave and they go far away and they're like, it's still like, wow, my parents just don't think that I'm a Christian. Like my parents are worried about me and they're always try. they throw these little, like they lob these grenades out into the conversation. Like, I mean, even I still, it's not like I'm totally removed from that. Like so much of my, my life, and my community is still kind of wrapped up in that world a, a good bit uh, when it comes to family that I'm close to the proximity wise or even emotionally close to, but it's, um, it, it, I even, I have a hard time sometimes being who being in my honest, authentic self around them. Like I'll, I'll go back to my parents' mm-hmm. house and feel like, Oh, I, now I need to like become this person again. This is who I felt Plus like. The I Sotinos. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because my siblings don't care at all. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it they, none of them care. They all just kind of live their life, do their thing, say whatever the fuck they want. So it, some of it probably just boils down to personality. Uh, and it sounds like you've never, re- you've always felt like you could be your authentic self in church and you, that's what gravitated people towards you. Uh, and so maybe that's why you get to live in their minds instead of them living in yours. While yeah. some of us are on the sidelines living the opposite <laughs> experience. You know, and, and the, the thing I, you know, the reason that there's sins, it's like without forgiveness, there's no such thing as a sin and vice versa. So like one was made for the other. And I learned that in church too. I was never like, you know, like I, I said that STD thing, like, yeah, I was like nervous and whatever. And then eventually I just like asked somebody that wasn't in church and they're like, oh yeah, you can just go to a doctor and they're going to like sort it out for you, you know? <laughs> but but like, I, I understood that people like forgiving. And so I also understood that I was, I was never afraid to talk about something I had done, you know, because then that gives them that little thing, you know, it's like, it's like this Towns Van Zant lyric that I really love where he says with it, there ain't no dark until something shines, you know? And it's like, they both need each other. This, this back and forth between darkness and light. And I abuse that. that. <laughs> I abused them. <laughs> I abused them wanting to forgive me. I allowed them to. <laughs> it was good for them too. Mm-hmm. What uh, did your family have anything to say about it? Cause they haven't come up a lot. I mean, were they still involved in the church when you were a leader and no, all my, that my stuff? My brothers, my younger brothers were like, because I was there, 
you know, they came around. Uh, my sister was a little bit, but never was really into it. My mom, my dad just kind of showed up because my mom was making him. Um, and then my mom like was into the, the Bible study women's gossip kind of like thing for a while, but then she kind of found her way out of that. But I was the one that was in, I was like, I was the church kid, you know, like I, it wasn't a family pushing me. It was me being like, I like it. I want to go. Did anybody throw you a life raft and try to like pull you back in after you left or were you far enough away by that point? People have tried to have conversations with me, which I'm never shy of. And, um, I've challenged some of them, you know, I've challenged a few people by, and I, I got off Facebook for one of these, this reason on on its own. Like I can't see these posts of people. Like we told our son, there's no Santa Claus because there's a God and there's no Santa, you know, like it's like, yeah, you're, yeah, thinking, yeah. you're a monster. Okay. <laughs> You are a monster that you are taking that away from your child. (laughs) That's the world I grew up in. If we talk to, if our kids think Santa's real, then that takes away from the true meaning of Christmas. Also, I kind of wear this as a badge of honor, but also have some regret. Uh, I told everyone in my kindergarten class that Santa was not real because that's the message I got. And the teacher received a lot of phone calls. So, uh, from parents who were very upset about that. So that was, so you were forced to homeschool and your parents were like, good, they should know that. Yeah. They should know that. Did anyone want ask to accept God after (laughs) it was a Christian school. school, So they were already sinning and I just set the record straight. And that's when you got homeschooled after that. They were like, no more shortly after right about shortly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty soon after that, I made it to, uh, I, I I made it through second grade before my parents decided to do homeschooling. It was like uh, you got through high school. You did your service for those kids. They rejected your truth, and so you just had to like leave them to burn like Nineveh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was waiting for them to all turn into pillars of salt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Nick. So you have you have a kid, right? I do. Yeah. Did has, did that affect? Did having a kid affect what you believe or how you think about anything or what you want to teach them? What, what kind of, what does that make you think about? Well, like death came up with my son and you know, I don't, I don't do well with death. I haven't really experienced much of it. Mm. Um, I later in my life after this came up with my son died basically and was like brought back to life in a fucking hospital because that's who brings you back to life. <laughs> and, and, uh, you have more experience with it than most living people. It sounds. <laughs> yeah. And so my, my son, I like in my explanations, his response in the end was, so it's just like bones in the dirt. And I was like, yeah, it's basically death. <laughs> <laughs> bones in the dirt man that's a great explanation <laughs> you know he because he he like he took everything i said and put it down and and you know he's been his his mom has taken him to church and and um i'm not against him going to church at all i don't you know i encourage it i encourage any anything that broadens his life and the horizons and eventually will allow him to make his own opinion because he's learned something i i, I support i'm never going to hide him from something but you know i'm not going to sit here and tell him like you know, you need to ask for forgiveness all the time and you need to like be worried and be like doing good. Like, no man, we have fun. Like that's our life is we're, we're having fun and we're being good people. So (laughs) as long as we're doing that, then we don't need to like beg for forgiveness. We don't need to do, you know, 
anything like that. But I, I have had to learn things like, you know, this is a joke, but it's also real. It happened where my son, I found out he was on YouTube and he was watching, he watched a flat earth video. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and like, I, I realized like, I like, I don't even think I've mentioned it to him yet that the earth's around, you know, like it just hadn't come up, I guess. I just thought people figured that out or knew on their own. And so then I've got to kind of sit down and be like, Hey, just, I want to double check. Like, you know, it's not flat though. Right. (laughs) And he's like, but why wouldn't he believe that? Because what he was just told, of course it's fucking flat. Look at what I'm, look at where I'm standing. It's flat. Everything's flat. The house is flat. Everything's flat. The earth is flat. It makes sense. And now I've got to be like, no man, it's gravity and it's round and it is rotating. You know, like, and he's like, sound like a hippie. You sound like a, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, like a round earther. So, <laughs> so actually being able to like learn how to discuss that with him, also learn how easily a child's mind could be turned right into believing something like a church, you know, or whatever. It's like, yeah, you got misinformation, buddy. Let's talk about it. You want yeah, me to chat with him about man. tower seven? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a, he knows it was an inside job and he's kind of all, I have, uh, I got two kids and thinking about like, so again, a lot of my family, like my, you know, my parents, my in-laws, very like conservative, evangelical Christian. And I know my, like, I know my kids are going to get that message. Uh, it'll, some of it intentionally, some of it not maybe just through osmosis of some sorts, but I, I'm always on the fence about it. Like, so what you, what you're saying about, um, you know, your, your kid's mom taken to church, like taking them to church. And it's like, and being okay with that. And usually if you had a serious, strong resistance to that, that might kind of, that can sometimes push kids towards something. Like if you have like a weird hang up on something, kids pick up on that and kind of oh, make yeah. decisions based on it. Maybe they'll grab it. If they're depending on their relationship, you might be like, I'm just like dad. And that'll kind of fuck shit up for, you know, his mom, or if, if there's a rift for some reason, whatever, he'll be like, I'm all about church. I'm going to go witness to my friends about Jesus Christ now. And it's like, so it could, that can go either way. So I'm always like trying to figure out how to balance it and deal with it. Um, but it's funny, the amount of things that I think about now that I experienced as a kid that my kids are becoming familiar with, like uh, the song, Jesus loves me has come up a good bit lately mm-hmm. and thinking about even the lyrics for that. And, so my kids will like go to school with my mother-in-law and they'll listen to the whole thing. And as far as I know, she doesn't listen to this. So I don't think this is going to be an awkward conversation later, but it's like, it's so it's all about him like dying and covering their sins and shit. Like, like my kids have really, they're, they're six and four. They don't have much of a concept yeah. of death They're It's very limited. And the idea that somebody would do that for them is like, that's what we grew up with. But that message is like, Oh, I don't want my, I don't want my kids learning that some dude was brutally murdered because of them for them. Mm-hmm. He did this for you. He, you need to recognize that and acknowledge it in children's songs. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause it, it is singing these children's songs and it feels culty. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's all, it's literally about him dying. And because of that heaven's gates have been opened for them and that their sins are washed away. And these are all concepts. My kids have, they're not familiar with that vocabulary at all. 
Uh, so I'm waiting for that conversation to come up. I, I always just assume that my son is like me and you hear all that stuff and you're like, okay, like this is fun though. I'm hanging out with other people and, or I like singing actually. It's fun to sing. Who cares what the yeah. words are? I'm not actually looking into the words that much. So, you know, when I did ask my son before, I was like, do you like going to church? And he, he said, yeah. And I go, what do you like about it? And he's like, oh, that we like play. And I was like, yeah, it's fun. Playing's fun. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't, what he said wasn't so. like, uh, yeah, I, I don't, he's like, it wasn't like, oh, because I learned about God and, and, and it's like, he doesn't, he's like, I don't know. They might be trying to tell me about that, but I haven't paid attention. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like it, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, exactly. As if anybody puts any resistance, then it, it, it allows the other person to see that there's something there that they need to look into to see yeah. why there's resistance. And yeah, I, I, you know, I also just like, believe what you're going to believe, act how you're going to act. I don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. I'll choose to live my life in the way that gets me away from people that I don't agree with. And I'm not going to point it out that they're doing what I don't agree with. Yeah. I don't need to. I actually don't have, ever have to mention it to them that they are doing something I don't like. You know. But how will they know? How will they know? They won't. To, that's the yeah. That's what it's. It's funny how much you realize, like after a while, that the person correcting that person actually they don't care what that person does for any reason that relates to that person. It's always about, the, it's like, I want mm -hmm. to make clear to you that this is where I'm at. Okay. And everybody around mm -hmm. us needs to see that this is my stance on this. It's, it's so performative. And I feel like it's something that I catch myself doing too. And maybe it's just the thing that you have yeah, to it's watch easy. for. It's, I think it's an yeah. easy go-to. It's an easy go-to to see somebody doing something and you know the right way to do it. You know, yeah. and I practice this in a lot of ways. Um, I had an ex-girlfriend and this drove me crazy that we were like visiting her mom's house in another state. And I got there a day early because of whatever reasons of the flying and everything. So I spent a night at her mom's house without her. And I had a rental car and I had to drive all the way out there anyway to get there. And I'd driven her mom around the day that I was there without her and like went to the little store. It's like a small city, little small little town. But then when she got there, I was still driving. Like I drove us to dinner and then we're coming back to the, her mom's house and I drive past, like I'm about to drive past a street that I know that street takes me to her mom's house. But I also know that there's one up here that does, that's like less curvy. And it's the one that her mom was telling me to take. And I like that one better. But as I'm passing the street, she goes, you're supposed to turn there. That's where, and I, and I wanted it to be like, you're, you know, that's not your job. It's not your job to tell me what street you would turn on. I'm getting us home. I'm, I'm getting myself to the grocery store. I'm walking through, I'm wearing a mask because I want to wear a mask. I don't have to explain why, you know, but I just like the, the thought of telling people that your way is better is it's, it's a desire that is, it's, it's such a, um, nobody likes it. Anytime, anytime you do that to somebody else, they don't like it. And if you can remember that, then you should stop doing things that other people don't like. That's a good point. Everyone wants like everyone to mimic them. They're like, Hey, if I, I, I have found this and this is my path and my journey. And I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't true. I'm not some sort of idiot. I mean, I'll do the bit. The, the bit that I like to do is when somebody's driving me to where I don't know is I start giving them directions like to where they're like, or they're taking me to their house and I know where their house is. And I'm like, yeah, take this left up here. And they're like, 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, like that to me is funny, but <laughs> I, I feel like anytime I've ever had to give someone directions, uh, like we'll have family visiting from out of state and they're like, just, yeah, they'll, they'll drive. They, they, they got the rental minivan. They're driving all of our asses somewhere and they're like, all right, so yeah, just let me know where to go. And I'm like, okay. And then it's just like, oh shit, we were supposed to take that turn back there. And I yeah. do not pay attention at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> I hate yeah. when people start giving you directions now. Like you're like, "Hey, what's your address?" You know, I'm I'm on my way, and they start spelling out streets and stuff like that. I'm like, "Just, just, just send me the address, man." Well, my I'm thing never is, gonna remember is this. with Teslas now and and everything, people just don't think. They just get in their car and they put an address and they go. And I don't work that way. Like I I want to enjoy my ride and not be looking at instructions. So I. I'm good at mapping things out in my own head. I go, I go somewhere once I know how to get back there. I just do. And Man. when I, and also maybe it's not the best way, but it's the way I like. And I actually like this street better than that street because this is here and this, you know, but when, and somebody's like telling you you're doing it wrong, it's like, listen, I'm not going off a system right now. I'm just taking you to where you're going the way I like, <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to map it out anyway. <laughs> That drives me crazy. People that just all they know is the map. So they never remember how to get places. That's me. So I drive you crazy. That's. <laughs> but maybe that's no, but- it drives me crazy. I like I can drive somewhere with my dad and he's just like, yeah, I drove this way when I was like, you know, 14 and had my permit. And now I know all these back roads of this town. I'm like, I, I feel like GPS I broke my brain. I drove for a couple of years without it, you know, and then it was probably when I was like, probably two or three years after I started driving, it's like, I got a GPS and it was over after that. I never had well, to. Yeah. It's just the way your brain works. One of my really good friends, he can't remember how or where, where he got places. Yeah. And sometimes I'll take him away and he's like, wait, this is the direction of that. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no I, spatial awareness. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is I just know directions. Like we're heading that way. So all of these streets are going to funnel me into that. And that's how I drive. And I know that's why you guys had me on the podcast. That's I, exactly. We were waiting for these driving instructions. We got them. <laughs> so we're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> dude, before we like kind of wrap up, I, I want to know how things have been for you. You know, I know the pandemic has been killer for comics. Um, I don't, what's, how's, have you got, how you been surviving that? You getting on the road anytime soon? You, I am. I have been, I have been on the road. I just had a European tour cancel because of this new kind of, you know, outbreak, but yep. I had some dates cancel and I've got some dates coming up and it's good. You know, I'm, it's a tough thing to have a job that you're good at, that you can't do that. You just like desire and, and that desire to do it actually brought in a love for it that I came out of the pandemic and I came out hard going on tour immediately. And, um, a lot of people weren't doing it. And I was noticing going around clubs and stuff like, Oh, a lot of these guys are doing like one set a week right now. And they're kind of rusty. Whereas I'm doing weekends and I'm like actually better than I was before the pandemic started, you know, like I, and it felt good because it was like the anticipation, the excitement, that stuff never translates to anxiety for me. That's always anticipation and excitement. It's never like, Oh, I haven't done it in a long time. I'm going to do good. It's like, I haven't done it in a long time. This could be fucking exciting. This is going to be crazy. You know? But it's, it's the more it opens, the better. I mean, yeah, I want to work. I want to make money. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I hear that. Sure, that helps. I mean, you guys are paying a lot for this. So I, you know, 
that's helping yeah. me out. I appreciate it. No, I mean, this is yeah. definitely the biggest line item so far. So you're speaking to <laughs> hundreds of people right now, so it'll pan out for you. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> well, man, it's been great talking to you. It's good to meet you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having uh, me. I appreciate details. it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, God bless you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Where yeah, can people find you online? Uh, anywhere. <laughs> they can, on Except Instagram. Facebook. Yeah, Nick Thune. Well, I'm on Facebook. I don't know who moderates it or anything, but it's not me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just, just look up my name. It's I'm the biggest Nick Thune out there. Just know that. Same, same for me. Biggest Casey Griffith there is. Good. Good for you. You can't even say your last name right. So that's pretty sick. (laughs) That's one problem I have to sort out between now and, you know, whenever I pop off. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening and we will catch you next time. 